This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, 1-866-408-7669. That's the number to call to be on the show and be part of the magic. After all, you got to think about this. I know you've been watching all the broadcasts. I know you've been watching the president and his condition. I know you also have opinions on the debates, as well as a preview of what's coming up on Wednesday. We had an election 30 days away. So this has been an incredible... I say this all the time. This has been such... An incredible year for news, most of it challenging, but all of it is interesting and fascinating. We're so glad you come here to get it all. We also can watch us anytime on Fox Nation. Mark Siegel, Dr. Mark Siegel at the bottom of the hour to make heads or tails of the president's condition. I just spoke to Mark Meadows, chief of staff on Fox and Friends, and he said the president could get out as early as today. Now, we're not doctors. Dr. Siegel is. You might have some, there might be some doctors in the audience. We can, we'll hear from you and we'll take your word on that. But I'll tell you what some of them are saying. One thing is pretty clear. They had to get their story straight over the weekend. They didn't, like so many other presidents and presidencies in times of uh, medical crises. And we also have an election out there. And first off, classy reaction from President Obama cutting that tape, wishing the best for the president and first lady, as well as Joe Biden. That should be pointed out. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell says it is, quote, full steam ahead with the Supreme Court confirmation hearings for Judge Amy Coney Barrett on October 12th, despite the fact that he has moved to cancel Senate activity until October 19th after three Republican U.S. senators tested positive for COVID-19. And that is uh, Brian Yenis, Supreme Court confirmation on target. What does the positive test for Republican senators Tillis, Lee, and Ron Johnson mean for the Amy Conant Barrett confirmation? I say full steam ahead, and so should you. Number two. Neither Vice President Mike Pence nor Democratic VP nominee Senator Kamala Harris have shown signs of or tested positive for COVID-19. So the two are still expected to debate. The Commission on Presidential Debates did agree to more distance between the running mates, expanding the space from 7 to 12 feet. Uh, There you go. With the president in the hospital, fresh off a volatile debate, what does it mean for the 2020 election? We're going to look at the polls, and some of them are fringe polls. I'll give it to you, but I'll go through all of it and preview Wednesday's VP debate. Number one. Today he feels well. He's been up and around. Our plan for today is to have him to eat and drink, uh, be up out of bed as much as possible to be mobile. And if he continues to look and, and feel as well as he does today, our hope is that we can plan for a discharge as early as tomorrow. And that is pretty amazing, isn't it? The president's health, wild weekend of video releases, conflicting medical reports, and a stunning drive-by highlights a weekend like no other as the president deals with the coronavirus. We're going to look at the treatment the president is getting and why some say he could be back home today. And just update that, Mark Meadows told me five minutes ago, told us five minutes ago on Fox and Friends, it looks like he will be. 
Uh, and today I'm just going to go over some of the president's tweeting because we've been tweeting like crazy. Today is the last day to register to vote in Arizona, Florida, Georgia, Ohio, and Texas. Click below for more information. He also says, peace through strength, bring our soldiers home, vote. That is one of the things he's doing in Afghanistan and Iraq. We have put more people into Syria. Thank goodness. Uh, fight the corrupt fake news media. Protected pre-existing conditions. Better and cheaper health care. Pro-life vote. Massive regulations cuts vote. Space Force vote. Best VA ever. 91% approval rating among re- for Republicans vote. So the president is, um, and these were happening uh, pretty much two hours ago. Uh, biggest tax cut ever vote, religious liberty vote. So you get it. Uh, the president's saying, I am not slowing down. Pretty amazing. At 74 years old, we know this. His his uh, his oxygen saturation level was dropping below 94. They gave him supplemental oxygen on Friday, and they gave it to him on Saturday. His fever's been gone since Friday. We did get some conflicting reports. And instead of people being concerned, they see it for political gain. That's what's so sickening. I'm not saying it didn't bother me that Dr. Conley would have a different comment than Mark Meadows. It did bother me. But I bothered me as a human being, and he's the president. It didn't bother me because, oh, this president thinks he knows everything, and Mark Meadows is not on the same pages. They just, it became politics again. So here is a little of the back and forth. Here is uh, a member of the the president's medical team, Dr. Brian Galbaldi, cut three. Today he feels well. He's been up and around. Our plan for today is to have him to eat and drink, uh, be up out of bed as much as possible to be mobile. And if he continues to look and and feel as well as he does today, our hope is that we can plan for a discharge as early as tomorrow to the White House where he can continue his treatment course. Right. And to follow up on that, here's Mark Meadows moments ago updating us. That determination has not been made yet. Obviously, he continued to improve overnight, uh, and uh, his health continues to improve. The doctors will actually uh, uh, have an evaluation sometime uh, late morning, and then uh, the president, in consultation with the doctors, will make a uh, decision on whether to uh, discharge him uh, later today. We're still uh, optimistic that, uh, based on his unbelievable progress and and how strong he's been in terms of uh, his fight against this COVID-19 disease that he will be released, but that decision won't Mm -hmm. be made until later today. So Dr. Brian Galbaldi was on to say that they put him on remdesivir, which you're supposed to give early. You have to give five straight days. It's got to be intravenous. So if he goes home, they got to give him intravenous in the White House. I'm sure they could do it. Uh, Personally, uh, it's not my decision. My sense is if I want to make it easy on the doctors, and I would, if the doctors tell me it's easier for me to work on me here, and being that he's got this great office there and everything he needs and the staff is meeting with him there with N92 masks, I'd stay. But uh, the president wants to get back to work. He, he's 100%. He wants to send the message at 74 years old, which, by the way, is what I said on Friday that caused an uproar. The president gets it. He takes it serious. He gets treatment. He gets back to work. That is a great message. And that's the message he's trying to say. Now, the, the problem is that everyone's jumping on is the different statements. The first time we ever heard the president might need supplemental oxygen and that he had a fever and that it dropped below 94 was Mark Meadows. So Dr. Sean Connolly of on Walter Reed said this about the difference between what him and Meadows were saying. So what number was that? I just had that. Yeah, that is Yep, cut 11. 
I was trying to reflect the, the, uh, the upbeat attitude that the team, the president, that his course of illness has had. Um, I didn't want to give uh, any, uh, any information that might uh, steer the, uh, the course of illness in another direction. Um, and in doing so, uh, you know, it came off uh, that we were trying to hide something, which wasn't necessarily true. Um, and uh, so have, here I have it. He's, he is, the, the fact of the matter is, is that he's doing really well. Okay. That was, I mean, he, I know he's not a professional spokesperson. I know he's a respected member of the military and uh, by all reports, a fantastic doctor. But that was so wrong for him to say that. For him to come out and say, I didn't want to change the mindset of the patient, that's fine. But he's the president. You got to tell the press everything that you feel comfortable telling the press. But don't change and sell when it comes to medical conditions. You know, don't market. Don't promote. Just tell me what's going on. And then, you know, the president had a fever on Friday. We seem to have gotten it under control. He did need supplemental oxygen. Twice the blood, uh, the oxygen went below 94. Therefore, we gave him the steroids. And I don't think the American public minds that. I don't think it changed the, we're not telling the president anything he doesn't know. He knew all this. So the president tells you not to say it, just say, then, Mr. President, I can't have a press conference. And I understand that. You can put out a written statement. This according to Walter Reed. This according to the White House. Co- you know, collaborate your statements, um, emerge and purge them, and then do it. Meanwhile, uh, Nick Luna, the, who runs the Oval Office operations and President Trump's personal aide, he has tested positive. He is married to Cassie Dumbald, who is an assistant to Jared Kushner. That could be impactful. You know, the president does not have whole picks for two weeks. Ronna McDaniel, RNC chair, that's going to hurt. Bill Stepien is out. Kellyanne Conway, who's always an advisor, but they can do things by phone. I get it. We know telemedicine. We know about Zoom. They can get things done, but the president is off the campaign trail. And what does it mean for his fortunes? What does it mean for the poll? Now, everyone's focusing on the Wall Street Journal poll uh, that has the president trailing by 14 points. And that was after uh, that was after the debate. Fine. After the debate is 10 years ago. I have no interest in after the debate now. As bad as the president did and as uh, as as uh, inept as Joe Biden looked. It doesn't matter now. This is all about the virus, how the president handled it. I did see a poll that 72% of the American public blamed the president's um, reckless actions for them getting it. Well, how did he not get it for nine months if he's so reckless? Zogby Strategies took a poll and it showed something startling. That Joe Biden was leading President Trump by two points nationally. The poll surveyed 1,006 likely voters across the nation. Now, do I subscribe to Zogby all the time? No, I'm just sharing this with you. This Sunday Express Democracy Institute poll released on Sunday. The poll found that 46% of likely voters nationwide support Trump, while 45 support Biden. That's 1,500 likely voters conducted between September 30th and October 2nd, obviously since we got the news. The state-by-state poll. USA Today reports Trump appears to be closing the gap. 47, uh, he has uh, 47, 42, Florida. They claim that Trump trails in Florida by five. Uh, the other one in Pennsylvania, they trail, say the president trails by seven. Believe it or not, he picked up three points in that poll. And Saturday's poll is a plus three-point gain for Trump in Pennsylvania and a one-point gain for him in Florida. So it shows it going his direction. He's not there yet. He's much better off on the stump. But 
Joe Biden's not doing a heck of a lot. He didn't do anything yesterday. He's got an event today, and he's been keeping his powder dry because he could look really crude and crass if he comes out and starts ripping the president. They say that he pulled some of his negative ads. I was talking to somebody in Florida yesterday, and they said, not really. Uh, I still see the negative ads over in Florida. So the other big thing is that it really affects you out there is this rescue bill. Some of you have been laid off. You've been underemployed or you've been paid to stay home because your company can't have you in. So the, a lot of that money's running out. And the rescue package that could save the whole airline industry and the hospitality industry is being held up. They were at $3.4 trillion with the Democrats. They got down to $2.2 trillion. The problem is a lot of it doesn't really apply. A lot of it is health care for illegal immigrants. Sorry, don't think so. A lot of it is bailing out states' pension plans. Sorry, don't think so. But my sense is there's a deal there. Nancy Pelosi, Cut 26. The president tweeted yesterday that the country needs stimulus. Does that mean that you have come to an agreement or are close to a deal on a COVID relief bill? No, it means that we want to see that they will agree uh, on what we need to do to crush the virus so that we can open the economy and open our schools safely. So you're no closer than on Friday when when that airline deal will occur? Well, we try to get that done in the House, but the Republicans objected. Mm. She's having problems with their Democratic flank more than Republicans. She expects problems with the Democrats, excuse me, Republicans. She's getting it from... Democrats. Kaylee McEnany, cut 28. Oh, we certainly hope so. Look, it, it, at the moment, it seems that Nancy Pelosi is still yet again playing politics. But we've offered not just coming up on our number to $1.6 trillion, We've also offered a one-off bill for airline workers. Uh, we know that many airline workers have been laid off. Uh, so why not just do one-off, uh, one-off bill, something we all agree on, we can come together around? And I think it's notable uh, that the president, even while going through COVID himself, is trying to negotiate COVID relief for the American people. Um, you had Kevin McCarthy today saying uh, that's exactly what they discussed um, when, when they had that phone call. You know, it's just unbelievable. I wish Joe Manchin or somebody, or Chris Coons, who is normal at times, uh, would actually just say, can we just get something done? This is pretty stupid. Uh, we both agree we're going to get something done. It's our money. It's the taxpayer's money. It's not like it's coming out of your pocket. All right, when we come back, I'll take your calls, one 408 We haven't even talked about the Supreme Court justice confirmation process. We have not even talked about it yet, and it didn't even make the big three, but believe me, I'll bring it up. Andy McCabe is refusing to testify Wednesday because he says he's where he doesn't want to jeopardize his health and health of his family. James Comey went on Zoom. He survived. Sally Yates decided to go in person. That was her choice. But he says there's too much at stake for me not to show up in person. Are you kidding? You're enough to do a remote hit on your network contract deal, write a book and do thousands of interviews, but you can't show up and answer questions. You want to know why? Because Sally Yates took no responsibility. James Comey took no responsibility. You're up, Andy McCabe. You have no one to pass to. Also, special thanks to KFOW AM 1170 uh, in um, south of Minneapolis. Uh, They are joining us now, and they're taking us for all three hours. That'll be great. Uh, Wonseca, Minnesota. That's fantastic. And, of course, Minnesota, I believe, is a battleground state. Maybe you don't. one 408 7669 It's Brian Kilmeade. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point-of-sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory— Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. 
Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Typically what we see is in the first week you have sort of the viral response phase of the infection. And it's that second week when patients sometimes get into trouble. Now there is some correlation with patients doing well that first week and being less likely to get into trouble that second week when you have that inflammatory response, the post-viral inflammatory response. But there are exceptions. And, and I have talked to physicians who've seen patients who did well the first week and still got into trouble. So I think we need to continue to be cautious here with the president. Well, I agree. Um, I've got to be cautious. They say it takes seven days to kick in. And remember, I just keep in, the, keep in mind Boris Johnson. And Boris Johnson was fine. He gave an address to the nation four or five days in. He started losing some of his breath. And then next thing you know, he was in intensive care. Later, he would say, I thought he was going to die. Now, we know a lot more now. I get it. Uh, remdesivir, we didn't even know about then, even though it was out there. We weren't using it for this. Gordon, listening on WLKF in Florida. Hey, Gordon. Hey, thanks for taking my call so fast. Listen, the GOP are doing two very stupid things, and if we don't stop them, first, we are not using teleremote conferencing in the Senate like the House is to get our nominee. And number two, even Matt Gates in the House Judiciary Committee supported H.R. 2648 student loan bankruptcy. It is not a free handout. The Constitution's uniformity clause requires bankruptcy, and if we don't support bank student loan bankruptcy, people are going to say Trump gets bankruptcy, but not not All you. Right, yeah, well, on the other thing, on the prior thing, they can use uh, – we, we already just saw it with James Comey how many people uh, were remote and weren't in uh, the Capitol building. They can get uh, Amy Coney Barrett going on October 19th, and they can have a general floor vote on the 30th. And you just got to make sure that all 51 Republicans show up. If the Democrats don't want to show up, it is indeed up to them. But keep in mind, too – Two of, the, two of the three Republican senators who tested positive, two are on the Judiciary Committee. So you got to hope that uh, Tillis, Senator Tillis, who wore a mask through most of the ceremony where everyone thinks it took place for, for uh, Barrett uh, on the, at the Rose Garden, he was wearing a mask most of the time. They said he has extremely mild symptoms. Senator Mike Lee, we had his former chief of staff on today. He says he's recovering well. The symptoms are mild for him, too. So if the symptoms are mild, you have two negative tests. The CDC says you can get out in 10 days now. So we should have plenty of time to do it. Plus, you can function. 
I mean, we saw that early with Rand Paul. You can function. So that's something to keep in mind, too. So the president of the United States could be getting out. What concerns me about this is, number one, five days or I'm desafir. Number two, I just don't – I would not want to strain my medical staff. And nine people working on you. They prefer you, Walter Reed, I am sure. And my fear is that the president of the United States saying he wants to do something is not like you or I doing it, where a doctor could push back. You know, are they going to sign off and say, okay, I, I am going to release myself from the president because he's not listening to me? My hope is they're, they're responsible about it. I'm going to ask Dr. Mark Siegel that in just a moment, and then we're going to talk back to you. With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News Podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Has he ever been on supplemental oxygen? He, right now, he is not on I oxygen. You, I know you keep saying That's right true. now, but should we read into the fact that he had been previously? Yesterday and today, he was not on oxygen. So he has not been on it during this his COVID treatment? He's, he's not on oxygen right now. <laughs> Over the course of his illness, the president has experienced two episodes of transient drops in his oxygen saturation. Thursday night into Friday morning when I left the bedside, the president was doing well, with only mild symptoms, and his oxygen was in the high 90s. Late Friday morning when I returned to the bedside, the president had a high fever and his oxygen saturation was transiently dipping below 94%. Yesterday, uh, there was another episode where he dropped down about 93%. So they were all over the place. With the doctors, I'm sure we're on top of the treatment for the president, but they were telling us a different message out and about, uh, telling the public a different message, especially if you contrast it with Mark Meadows was saying. Dr. Mark Siegel, Fox News contributor, author of the new book, COVID, The Politics of Fear and the Power of Science. Dr. Siegel, what do you make of these mixed messages? You understand the public's frustration? Yeah, I do. And one of the, re- of course I do. And one of the reasons for the mixed messages are different spokespeople. And then mixed in on this, Brian, is the issue of patient privacy. Believe it or not, even though we're talking about the president of the United States and the public has a right to know because it's the leader of the free world, there's also the issue of when you release information and how you message it. All of that is involved. But one thing for sure, the medical aspects of this, what I'm hearing now and what I've heard, what I heard from Dr. Conley last night is consistent with the virus itself. It's episodic. It's not, in my opinion, it's not what the chief of staff said, 48 hours, you know, observation. This virus is intermittent in terms of its symptoms, especially, Brian, if it affects the lungs or secondary organs. In other words, you've got the virus itself, and then you've got the damage it does to the body. If it starts to inflame the lungs, that becomes another ballgame, especially somebody over 70 years old that's overweight. It becomes a different ballgame. So I'm looking at and again, admittedly, from a distance, even though I'm in contact with a White House doctor, even even but from a distance, we're looking at the secondary impact of the virus itself at this point. It can still cause fever. It can cause inflammation to the lungs and it can be intermittent. I'm curious about what the CAT scan of his lungs showed. I'm, I'm certain he had one, but I don't have that information and nor do I want it, by the way. I don't want all of the details of the case because I'm not his treating physician. Well, you don't take steroids, they say, if you're short, if you get that shortness of breath, your oxygen drops, that, uh, to the way they have told us, that means there's something with your lungs, right? 
Correct. And but what I don't know is what, what the what the CAT scan shows in terms of whether there's pneumonia in the lungs from COVID. To what extent there's there's inflammation going on. They know that, but that's not something I know. I know that they did a CAT scan. I don't know what the results showed. I don't think, and this is this is supposition, but I don't think they would be talking about discharge, even to a place like the White House, which has a, a tremendous medical team and facility itself, not just Walter Reed, but the White House itself. I don't think they would be even remotely speaking about that if there was perceived damage to the lungs done on a CAT scan. But all he had to say was there is no damage to the lungs. They said what we saw was expected. And I'm thinking to myself, what does that mean? What do you what do you think when they say that? Well, I know the disease and I know that the disease causes uh, hypoxia, inadequate oxygen intermittently. So I know it's I know that's the disease. But what I don't know, you're right. If they said the lungs are not damaged, but we're seeing some drops in oxygen, I would have expected that. But but but, you know, it's hard to message it, but they could have done a better job. That's for sure. And I and I want to know not just the oxygen content, but what the lungs look like. So I'm going to tell you what some other doctors have said. Dr. Schaefer of Vanderbilt says to release no, the president. No, I know. You know him? Yes, very well. And I've had him on the, on the radio many times. I know okay. him very well. Here's his quote from the New York Times today. He says to release from what he knows, the release is ill-advised. If he leaves, he has to, he has to be doing it against doctor's orders. Dr. Robert Wachter, University of California, says uh, someone's sick enough to need remdesivir and steroids three days and to be released, uh, and to be released, can't think of a situation where that person leaves after three days because you know he needs at least two more days of remdesivir and it's got to be an IV. Uh, both of these doctors think his lungs have been affected, judging by the decrease in oxygen levels. So as much as I'm the president, I want to get back. If you're his doctor, knowing he's the president, how do you handle that, Dr. Siegel? So that's, you framed that beautifully, which is what I love about you. So this is a complicated series of issues. I would say, even though I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a fan of Dr. Schaffner and I know him well, he should not be giving pontifications on a situation which he doesn't know. It's not his patient. So I want to tell you that every decision is made on a patient-by-patient basis based on details we may not have. For example, I have a feeling they may have given him remdesivir and, and the Regeneron antibodies and even dexamethasone a lot earlier, Brian, than they might have given you or me because it's the president. In other words, they might have thrown the kitchen sink at him earlier because they were worried that he would deteriorate. And so even though the studies say give it later, we can't go by that because we don't know what the lungs look like. Having said that, I said last week on Friday on Tucker's show that I couldn't imagine a scenario where he would be discharged before the middle of this week. Because I like the idea of giving remdesivir intravenously in the hospital as well. They can give it in the White House suite, but I don't see any reason it couldn't be. You wouldn't complete that in the in the uh, in the in the hospital suite at Walter Reed. I don't see what the rush is. I don't have the sense from what I heard from Conley last night, Brian, that the, that this is anything like against medical advice. I think that the team is getting together and making the decision on when to discharge. And it's not a fait accompli yet. He's not out of there. So they can reconsider and discharge him later in the week. I myself personally would agree with one thing that you floated at me, which is I I don't like the idea of transferring somebody who is getting an intravenous antiviral drug. I like the idea of giving it in the hospital. And one more thing, and this is the most important thing, he has to be isolated. You know, some of the things you said on Fox and Friends this morning, I agree with. He has to be isolated. 
we have to minimize the contact that he has, and anybody that's in touch with him should be wearing personal protective equipment. So they're not. Uh, Mark Meadows was on, was on with us today, so they're just wearing the N95 masks. Well, that's part of the personal protective equipment. Okay. I personally would be wearing an N95, a shield, and a gown. That's what I would be wearing. You know, I like the shield because it protects you against incoming. So I don't, the N95 is absolutely right, but I would go in a step further on that. Doc Siegel, I want you to hear Mark Meadows told us, I guess, 45 minutes ago. Let's listen. That determination has not been made yet. Obviously, he continued to improve overnight, uh, and uh, his health continues to improve. The doctors will actually uh, uh, have an evaluation sometime uh, late morning, and then uh, the president, in consultation with the doctors, will make a uh, decision on whether to uh, discharge him uh, later today. We're still uh, optimistic that uh, based on his unbelievable progress and and how strong he's been in terms of uh, his fight against this COVID-19 disease that he will be released, but that decision won't be made until later today. So probably, you know, my sense was he's, he's getting out today. If, you know, obviously if he doesn't have a fever, if his oxygen doesn't drop, he's getting out today. Well, Brian, I think that decision was made last night. I got a note from Dr. Conley that they were planning on sending him out today, provided everything continued well. But you know how this is. With the media storm on this, maybe they'll keep him an extra day and finish the remdesivir. Wouldn't be the, wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. I think the decision be, should be made day by day. I want to know what, what the CAT scan showed. But, but, I mean, I don't want to know that. That's what the doctors making this decision need to consider when they're making a discharge decision. With all due respect to Dr. Schaffner, who, again, I have a lot of admiration for, we've got to be careful to be looking over the shoulder at a case we don't have the details on. We can make general statements. I like intravenous given in the hospital, not at home. I want to know what the CT scan shows. Oxygen can go up and down based on this disease. It causes inflammation in the lungs. The CAT scan would tell you how much inflammation, Brian. And the other issue is it can get better and then get worse again, which might be another reason to err on the side of caution here. So could you tell me about this concoction they came up with, uh, the Regeneron? Uh, that they gave it to him right away, and I'm thinking to myself, what happened? Well, I mean, is, I was just surprised because I didn't know that's where you start on a drug that has not been uh, green-lighted by the FDA, but it's used only for compassionate use. I'm thinking that that's the first thing outside the vitamins that we heard him got get. Is it rare to start with that? Uh, it's un- unprecedented, but you're talking about the president of the United States. You're talking about a cocktail that is basically made in the lab, but it's based on convalescent plasma, which is what we've been studying, you know, for months and months now, uh, which also has not been totally proven, but seems to have some impact. And we think, and I think that synthetic antibodies are are the way to go with this. But the the reason that they jumped on that is because there was some data coming out of Lilly this week that that particular cocktail of monoclonal antibodies definitely showed an impact. It decreased the amount of virus in the body. So probably the president, and again, I'm, I don't know this for a fact, but he probably wants to be ahead of the curve. It's pretty safe, right. and, it's, and it just showed effectiveness this past week. Brian, it probably will get an emergency use authorization very quickly, very soon. But he's, he, you're absolutely right that he was ahead of that. Se- second point about remdesivir, I think he probably got it earlier than most people would get it, too. But that's, again, because he's the president of the United States. Remdesivir is moderately effective, but has been studied mostly 
in later courses in patients that are already in the hospital. So Dr. Tom Inglesby was on, we talked about the virus in general yesterday. Here's what he says is the state of the fight of the pandemic in America, cut 15. We are still in the middle of a dangerous pandemic in this country. Uh, if you look at the papers this morning and, and the data, you can see that something on the order of two thirds of the states in the country have had increases in COVID numbers in the last week. And uh, we're seeing, as you said earlier, in the 40,000 range of cases every day, hospitalization rate has just begun to tick up again. Where do you think we're at, Dr. Siegel? I'm, not, I'm sure those stats are real, but I also know deaths are down 16 percent over the last two weeks. Cases are up 8 percent. We know around Europe they're going up high in in France, Paris, they're locking down, cutting people out of bars again. We know in Spain they're in a virtual lockdown, and we know what's happened in the UK. They've been using every, they've been doing everything but using the word lockdown. So where where do you say we're at? Here's where we are at. I like Dr. I respect Dr. Engelsby a lot. You're using great clips today, Brian. I, I think we're at a point where we're starting to see increased spread again in in the majority of states, and that may be largely due to the fact that we're deep into the fall now. And, you know, this is where the weather changes and you start to see more spread of respiratory virus. I think we're seeing milder cases still overall, more more young people affected, and it hasn't been impacted on the hospitalization rate. Death rate may stay down, Brian, because of all these treatments we're talking about now. Early diagnosis and early intervention with more and more promising treatments. This is amazing how much progress we've made in six months may very well keep the death rate down. I agree with Dr. Inglesby that the hospitalization rate may go up. But I think the solution here is not lockdowns, because lockdowns strangle our economy and lockdowns cost us mentally and physically. I think it's that we, we have to learn compliance to physical distancing, masking, and washing our hands. It's a basic thing we could do public health-wise. You know what the purpose of a lockdown is, Brian? You've never heard this on the radio before. We've never said this on TV. Brian, the purpose of a lockdown is because you don't think people are going to comply with the public health measures I just mentioned. If people would wear masks, stay distant, and wash their hands, then they wouldn't need lockdowns. You would, you would be obeying the absolute criteria that decreases spread of the virus. Interesting. Uh, and it's just still those mainly those three things uh, almost a year later. Uh, Dr. Siegel, fascinating time. I actually think the message to the president, and this is what I said on Friday, and people were all over me for it. At 74 years old, you get the virus, you deal with the virus, you fight through the virus, and you get back onto your life. That's really the message for America. Do everything you can not to get it. But when you get it, fight through it, because we're going to have to live with it. We can't hide from it anymore. Brian, there's a great opportunity for the president to do just that to take the illness head on, to show he's fighting it and beating it, but to also, and you just hinted at this, to also give in to it, that it's taking over my life for this period of time, and I have to take it extremely seriously. It's a very threatening virus for someone over 70 years old. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Dr. Siegel, fascinating time. I'll talk to you again soon. Don't forget to pick up his book, the new book, COVID, The Politics of Fear and the Power of Science. Thanks, Brian. Yep. Special thanks to our listeners at KFOW AM 1170. Welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show family. Expanding your knowledge base. It's Brian Kilmeade. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. 
the talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I do think that's something that we should note here as the president is doing this, obviously, uh, for a PR and kind of publicity value. So that the president could get the sort of adulation that he so desperately needs. But this is what happens when you don't like what the people who are speaking for you are saying. This is a man who uh, we've seen for years now feeds off the affection of his fans and almost needs that affection. It's classic, classic Donald Trump, isn't it? You know, he he does want to be the star of any show or he wants to be at the center of attention. That is David Gergen, who just cannot handle uh, President Trump. Everybody, all those reporters, they cover him every day. The president hopped in a car, didn't tell the White House correspondents, and he just drove by and thanked his supporters and went back in. Now they just focus on that. How could he do that? How could it be so selfish? Uh, what about the Secret Service agent that was plexiglass PPE and they volunteered to do it? So... Why people get so apoplectic, just keep in mind, Trump is going to be doing this to his last day in office, whether it's in four weeks or four years. And just to see them lose their minds every single time as if they never met the president before blows me away. Dave, listen, WCHV in Charlottesville, Virginia. Dave. Yeah, Brian, I just wanted to say no one's brought up the fact that, you know, maybe the best place for the president security wise is not at the hospital but at the White House. You worry about his they security? They don't want him hanging around there. Well, they, that's a hospital that's operating. They don't want him there if he doesn't have to be. No, I think this is all him, Jim. I think he's pushing the envelope. Dave, I'm sorry. Uh, Dave, I think he's pushing the envelope. I think the doctor should push back. Just keep him there a couple more days. He could be very productive. He's cutting tapes, meeting with his staff. He's still got to get two more days of remdesivir and who knows what else. And he could take the time. It's not like he's got to worry about his insurance running out. Yeah, his insurance might be running out. That's true. All right. Thanks, man. Uh, Jim, WHIO, Dayton, Ohio. Hey, Jim. You know, the Democrats in our in our system, we're supposed to elect someone, and then they're supposed to run the show for whatever period of time they were elected, in this case for the president, four years. And then we're supposed to judge them on their results. The Democrats don't want to judge President Trump on his results. And they have no results to run against him. They have no case. So they have now converted to only discussing uh, masks and the coronavirus. And they want the election to come down to whether we've solved the coronavirus problem prior to the election. And if we haven't, they want to vote President Trump out. He's just done everything that the scientists said to do. And the virus is not under control it may be quite a while before it is, but they're doing everything they possibly can. Hey, Jim, but, by the way, there's a couple of things. Joe Biden's getting a total pass. He has not told anybody what his protocols are when he gets tested. Yeah, he's been tested the last few days because he got in contact with the president. But besides that, what about his staff? What, how often does he test? What kind of test do they use? Every time they ask, they don't answer. They don't. He doesn't answer on his agenda. And you heard what I said about the rest of the world. France shutting down Paris. London, most surrounding city, shut down in the U.K. Israel, almost entirely shut down for the second straight time. We're now third country the most infected. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. 
<laughs> Hi, everybody. Brian Kilmeade. Hope you had a great weekend, man. It was anything but typical as the president of the United States uh, went to Walter Reed Hospital trying to get his straight talk on his condition was a bit of a challenge. Also, if you're in New York City where we are now, can you believe the Fifth Avenue was shut down not by protesters against Donald Trump, but actually a bunch of cars that went by Trump Tower to show support for Donald Trump as they have also rallied outside Walter Reed. And bad news for New York. We were the first to get slammed. And I think we're the first to really tackle the virus. We knew it wasn't down for the count. Now nine zip codes, they say, are going to be locked down. A lot of people are pushing back, too, in this area. And, uh, okay, we're heard in the, we're located in New York, but heard around the country and heard around the world. In a matter of moments, we're G, uh, joined by Michael Goodwin. And then we'll take some of your calls, one 408 7669 You can always watch the show on Fox Nation and listen on the stream, BrianKilmeadeShow.com. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell says it is, quote, full steam ahead with the Supreme Court confirmation hearings for Judge Amy Coney Barrett on October 12th, despite the fact that he has moved to cancel Senate activity until October 19th after three Republican U.S. senators tested positive for COVID-19. Brian Yenis doing a great job as usual. Supreme Court con- uh, Confirmation. What does the positive test for Republican Senator Tillis, Lee, and Ron Johnson mean for own Amy Coney Barrett? I say full steam ahead now and more than ever. Number two. Neither Vice President Mike Pence nor Democratic VP nominee Senator Kamala Harris have shown signs of or tested positive for COVID-19. So the two are still expected to debate. The Commission on Presidential Debates did agree to more distance between the running mates, expanding the space from 7 to 12 feet. Good. Use bullhorns. Will the president in the hospital fresh off a volatile debate? What does it mean for the election? And we'll look at the polls and preview Wednesday's VP sparring session. Number one. Today he feels well. He's been up and around. Our plan for today is to have him to eat and drink, uh, be up out of bed as much as possible to be mobile. And if he continues to look and, and feel as well as he does today, our hope is that we can plan for a discharge as early as tomorrow. Yep, and I think it's going to happen today. The president's health, wild weekend and video releases, conflicting medical reports, and a stunning drive-by highlights a weekend like no other as the president deals with the coronavirus directly. We're going to look at the treatment the president is getting and why some say he could come home and will come home today. In fact, Mark Meadows told me on Fox & Friends the last half hour of the show that he he really expects it to happen, and we'll play some of that shortly. So Michael Goodwin joins us now for the New York Post, Fox News contributor, and get him uh, you get his columns and get his insight here. So, Michael, uh, your thoughts about the president coming home today? Uh, good morning, Brian. Well, look, if his doctors feel that uh, he's well enough to do that, uh, obviously the treatment is not over yet. Um, he will continue to be treated in the hospital uh, because it's too soon to say he's defeated it. So it's not like you or I being sick from the hospital in COVID and then coming home. He's coming home to a medical facility in the White House, not quite uh, what Walter Reed has to offer, but apparently his, if, if he is coming, if he is released, uh, then his condition has clearly stabilized enough that, that he would seem to be out of danger. That would be my reading of it. So we got a couple of things going on. He took the steroids because uh, his blood pressure, excuse me, his oxygen levels dropped below 94. And he had that 
uh, remdesivir to try to attack the virus early and try to get out of the body as quick as possible. He's got two more days of that. It seems as though intravenously you're probably better off staying in Walter Reed with everything it has. It's not like you and I are stuck in the hospital. He's got everything he needs there. But I was amazed through all of this how many lectures the president would have listened to had he watched any of the Sunday shows. Here's CNN's Jake Tapper. Cut 20. The Americans who don't listen to science or medicine, who think masks are too intrusive, who pack bars, who willfully risk spreading the virus, you are making it worse for all of us. You are extending how long this pandemic will last. And it is tragic to say many, if not most of you, are taking your cues from the leader of the free world. Your thoughts? Well... Look, I think when when journalists become scolds, uh, it never it never ends well. And I, I think Tapper is way out on a branch there. Uh, the science on this stuff, Brian, is still emerging, as we all know. The question of masks: uh, Do you does a mask prevent you from getting sick? Apparently not. I mean, the the. Look, there's so many variables, the quality of the mask, the, your condition, the condition of people around you, but, but also the severity. Uh, I mean, not everybody equally sheds the virus. So there, there are all kinds of things. And for, and for Tapper to act as though this is settled science, I mean, when have we heard this before? Everything is settled, according to the left. Uh, Barack Obama used to say, we know what the answer is. We just have to summon the courage to do it. That's not always true. Politically, there's always an answer. And if you do what I tell you, then, yes, the things will be fine, although they're often not fine, as we saw with Obamacare, for example. So this idea that, that we know all the answers and all we have to do is shut up and follow, I think doesn't sit well with most people, certainly when it comes from the media, certainly when it comes from CNN especially. Uh, it, it comes off as hollow. It comes off as partisan. It comes off as ignorant, as elitist. Anger. And I just think that's not the way journalism should be. Uh, that's not the basis of the relationship of journalists with their viewers or their readers. I think it's got to be more of we'll report the best we can what we know. We won't, we'll let you decide what you want to do with that. Right. So the, the, the administration definitely was not on the same page this weekend. And, you know, Mark Meadows coming out saying the president had a fever, some of his vital signs got us concerned. We didn't hear that from the doctors. And Dr. Sean Connolly is out there, and this statement shows – he might be a great doctor, but he's terrible at, as a spokesperson. Cut 11. I was trying to reflect the, the, uh, the upbeat attitude that the team, the president, that his course of illness has had. Um, I didn't want to give uh, any, uh, any information that might uh, steer the, uh, the course of illness in another direction. Um, and in doing so, uh, you know, it came off uh, that we were trying to hide something, which wasn't necessarily true. Um, and uh, so have, here I have it. He's, he is, the, the fact of the matter is, is that he's doing really well. I love that he's doing really well. And I know he's a brilliant doctor and probably a great person. But don't try to reflect with me the upbeat attitude of the team. People just want to know the answers. I mean, to me, that, I could not believe I was hearing that. That was a mistake. And, of course, um, you know, it, it, it was exploited. And in this case, pretty much properly so, that uh, yeah. not, not being absolutely straight, 
uh, is an invitation for people to mistrust what you say next. So, uh, I, I mean, I'm surprised that that someone in the medical community would would take that role. Perhaps he was just intimidated by the by the stage lights and and by the political drama surrounding everything with President Trump and and the media. So uh, I'm glad that he at least clarified and explained himself. But hopefully that will be the last time that he has to do that. Right. So let's talk about some type of aid package. We have nine zip codes shut down here in New York. They have been very slow to open things up. People say cautious, but at the same time, there's such a huge budget deficit. They're going to be cutting down so much to the bone. At least the New Yorkers should have some say in how they go down in flames. Now you're shutting this down. Uh, Now you're shutting this down. Now we understand the rescue package is still on hold, but there is some hope to get it done. Don't you believe this country needs some help right now? Well, I, I do, Brian, and I think that the big the big holdup, as I understand it, is that the Democrats in the House and Pelosi in particular has promised uh, Governor Cuomo, uh, probably Gavin Newsom in, in California, and maybe Pritzker in Illinois that the next rescue package would bail out the big blue states that have a spent so much money and lost so much revenue uh, because of the coronavirus that they would effectively bail out their budgets, which are not quite fiscally insolvent, but darn close to it, and no real hope on the horizon. And as you say, in New York City now, there is a movement uh, by the mayor to go back to lockdowns in nine nine zip codes within the city uh, because of the positivity rate of testing is now over 3% for uh, two weeks, in some cases even longer. Um, but it's, uh, it's, it's worrisome, A, because many more people are getting sick, uh, or at least testing positive, and uh, the rates are continuing now for a period of time. And so schools have just been opened. Uh, restaurants have just been recently allowed to do 25% in, in, inside dining. And so if you're going to go back to this lockdown, it's going to be the extreme measures. And I understand the impulse, but, again, I think that there is this, this idea that you have to shut everything down in order to stop the disease. And I, I think that may be an overreaction because – we haven't yet, and I hope we don't, see the spike in hospitalizations and and deaths and even the ICU spikes that we saw in uh, April, May, and June. So I think it's shutting everything down, given the economic pain that's there already and the continuing losses that will just, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's an issue unto itself. And so I think this quick resort to a blanket shutdown is going to draw a lot of protests because nobody wants to get sick, but nobody wants to see businesses and neighborhoods just collapse because because people are locked in their houses. I mean, this is this is not a good sign. And there's no question that the numbers are going back up. A lot of it has to do, of course, with increased testing. But even if you allow for that, there's an increased positive rate to these tests that can't be denied. Michael Goodwin with us. And Michael, lastly, what does this mean for the race? 
<laughs> if I knew, Brian, I wouldn't tell you. I'd bet on it. Uh, <laughs> but look, I, I think that if the president recovers, uh, that will be a real sign of strength, literally and and I think politically. It will do him a, a world of good. Uh, the most recent national poll over the weekend had him losing ground, uh, primarily because of that last debate, uh, his performance there. Um, I share the the concerns that uh, it was not a good performance, that he made a fundamental error in constantly trying to interrupt. He 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 shot himself in the, both feet. One by not using his time to uh, tout his own record on things that were never mentioned, and secondly, I think he should have let Biden talk more because the more Biden talks, the more trouble Biden usually gets in. So I, I think the president came in with a bad plan and he executed it faultlessly, and that's the problem here. Uh, so look, I think the race is still. Uh, not decided. It's, it's clear all the people are voting. I think there's a lot of support for the president. I think there's a lack of enthusiasm for Biden. But you'd have to say if the race, were, if the election were held today, Biden would probably win and maybe in a landslide. So the president's got a lot of work to do once he gets out there. And I think he's never stopped. I mean, it's clear that, you know, the, the visit yesterday to the supporters, the, the videos are designed not just to show he's healthy, but or getting back to being healthy, but to also show that he's he's fit to be reelected. I think that's the not so subtle message in these videos and in his trip outside. So he's eager to get back out there. There's no question about it. But even if he has to stay stay in indoors for another week or so, I don't think that's necessarily fatal to the election. Uh, but I think he does have to recognize that there's more ground to catch up. You've got the VP debate this week, and you've got the next presidential debate coming up. So there's, there are opportunities ahead, but if he races too quickly and then has a relapse, that could be, I think, the real damage to the campaign. Thanks so much. Appreciate it, Michael Goodwin. My pleasure, Brian. Uh, Thank NY you. NY underscore uh, post. Uh, M. Goodwin underscore NY post. To get more, you get his columns, and you'll get them at foxnews.com. We come back. Your turn, one 408 Don't move. You're with Brian Kilmeade. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. There have been a lot of comparisons to the Soviet Union in the last couple of days, and I think they're not unwarranted. Uh, the particular period that I'm thinking about is something that I've written about a lot, which were the days uh, of Stalin's death watch. Right, uh, where they all hoped that Stalin would die so they could take over. Remember that? Unbelievable. Stalin's death watch. I mean, look, if you go back in history through time, every time a president gets ill, nobody wants to say it. FDR, last he was supposed to die, and as he knew he was running for election and he was also terminal. You knew that the other problems he was having never even told the country that he couldn't stand. We know JFK and his severe back injuries, eight different medications. We know Woodrow Wilson had a stroke. We also know he got the Spanish flu during a 1918 pandemic. We never knew about any of this stuff. Eisenhower had a heart attack. They originally lied. They, then they uh, came out and said, okay, we'll tell you everything. Eisenhower of all people. So if there's some mixed messaging in this age of media everywhere, 
I understand it. Listen, I wish we, I wish we would have been cleaner over the weekend. But everyone's should know this: the president's heading in the right direction. And the question is, will you be heading home today? Bob was on WABC. Hey, Bob, you were one of those uh, caravanners that went down Fifth Avenue yesterday. Absolutely. And I would refer to us as patriots because that's all we are. We're Americans who are sick and tired of hearing the lies from the mainstream media. And our mission, honestly, we're going to turn New York red because I'll tell you, we do this every weekend. The Long Island Loud Majority, led by my buddy Sean, and we went out to Northport. Next week, we're going from Valley Stream out to Montauk. We are not going to stop. And the president might be down, but we got his back. And we're going to be out there and make sure that the campaign is seen and the energy is unreal. I mean, you know, we went into the lion's den yesterday and we had no problems. Besides the fact that we told BLM and Antifa on an online thing that we were going to Gracie Mansion and Times Square, we threw them off a little. So there were some protesters in those areas. But, you know, they, they, did, they didn't show up to where we were. And we had a great time. We shut down four blocks for about an hour. And, you know, we just showed the president some love that he needs in the city that apparently hates him, according to the media. Uh, according to the mayor. Thanks so much, Bob. Appreciate your passion. Steve, listening in Pensacola. Steve. Pleasure, and I think you're right. I just think that the president is going to come out of this stronger. I think people in both camps are set. I think there's 10 percent that's really undecided right now, and I think this will be helpful to show that we're going to get back to normal. The other thing I called about was the former felon vote in Florida. I take an active part of it. I'm an active. I mean, I'm a former felon. We have former felons for Trump 2020 on Facebook. And it's hysterical. Bloomberg came down here and tried to buy votes, and it's still being investigated, as you know. But what is hysterical is my phone has been ringing off the hook from people who were former felons that restored their lives and have their voting rights back that are calling me saying they had their fines and uh, uh, restitution paid off by Bloomberg, but they're voting for Trump. (laughs) And here's the thing. Trump's the one who let him out. Criminal justice reform. That's right. And he has more of a record. And like you said, and like uh, uh, your guest before, the president does need to focus upon that. And it's not a white or black thing. I, I hear you, Steve. Glad you're okay. Glad you're out. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. Information you want, truth you demand. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. When a local comedy club owner posted an essay on LinkedIn this past summer claiming New York City would never bounce back from COVID, Seinfeld was moved to write a rebuttal. Is New York dead? Are you asking me? I'm asking you. When you were a kid, remember kicking over the anthill? That's what just happened to us. They just kicked over the whole anthill. And what do the ants do? All right, hand me the next (laughs) crumb. Let's get back to work. And by the way, I have nothing against that guy. He's fine. I didn't like that nobody was rebutting it. And I realized, oh, I guess that's my job. Somebody, a real New Yorker has to answer this. You called him some putz on LinkedIn. (laughs) I don't even know what LinkedIn is. That's who that guy is for the rest of his life. Oh, look who's here. The putz from LinkedIn. Uh, That's the owner of Stand Up New York. That was Jerry Seinfeld being featured on 60 Minutes. 
Uh, that was last night. So the most uh, successful comedian, fresh off a special, staying productive, writing another book. Did you guys see the whole interview? I did. And you think it was funny? I thought it was funny. I thought it was interesting. Um, it was well, good. We got to get him on here. I'm, I'm trying. You know my first job was for Jerry Seinfeld's dad. And what did you say about his dad? Right. I, I said his dad could lift a piano like a little guy, strong, strong as heck. But didn't you but, also say you thought he was not funny? Yeah. I never thought he was funny because I was 13 years old, 14 years old, and he was all business, right? He worked like 100 miles an hour. But Jerry had a different idea. He disagrees with you. Yeah, cut 39. Were your folks funny? Yes. My dad particularly. Wildly funny. Like a, if there would be a fly would land on your soup and somebody would go, ooh. And he'd go, how much could he eat? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sure I'm wrong because I was, I, was, I was 12 or 13, 13, 14. Oh. I'm sure I'm wrong. I'm just saying uh, the funniest thing was when I was allowed to stay up about Johnny Carson because the guy I worked for's son was going to be on Johnny Carson, Jerry Seinfeld. So I'm allowed to stay up, and I watched Seinfeld go on, and then Carson did that thing, if I remember correctly, where he waves you over if you're funny, mm-hmm. and he waves him over, and they start talking about his parents – and he said, your parents funny? He goes, my dad is funny. And I'm saying to myself, he's not funny because I never, I never heard him. I mean, the guy was like an animal. He had Cal Seinfeld signs. And I just knocked on a bunch of doors to see if I can get a job because I had working papers. And he said, well, what can you do? And I said, I'll help you out. They go, are you an artist? I go, no, I'm terrible. So he goes, <laughs> all right, come on Saturdays and help us like when we go deliver signs. So whether it was taking the ladders out or helping him with signs or loading things up, that's what I did for uh, one whole summer, Saturdays, and I think through vacation. That's amazing. And then it was also allowed you to, you know, use that as an excuse to break your bedtime. Right. I was allowed. Carson's monologue, and my parents used to say to me, Brian, that's the worst part. They'll always go wrong. And I used to say to myself, that's what was funny. I Even then, I go, that's what's funny is when your jokes don't go right. Remember, he would sit there and go, okay, that looked good in the writing room, or I'm going to, you know, okay, I screwed that one up. I thought that was the funny part of it. All right, here's more from, uh, here's more from uh, Seinfeld, Cut 38. What do you say to some of your colleagues who say, like, everyone's so sensitive, you can't joke about anything anymore? They're always moving the gates, and you got to make the gates. And it is always difficult, changing, sometimes unfair, sometimes not right. You know, Lenny Bruce dealt with what he had to deal with, and we have to deal with what we have to deal with. And Lenny Bruce, of course, said that was vulgarity. Not then. We wouldn't consider that now. But he doesn't complain. He takes action. And through the pandemic, I, was, I heard about with Howard Stern. He said, oh, you must be suffering because you love going on stage. He goes, no, I just made the adjustment. Spend more time with the kids, uh, whatever he had. So it seems like he, as, as crazy as his life has been, as the most famous, the most successful sitcom ever, the most successful stand-up ever, he seemed pretty down to normal. Do you think so? No, I would totally agree. And then actually they brought his wife on for part of the interview, too. And it was funny. You know, she was saying when they first had kids and they were infants, Jerry had no idea what to do with them. He sort of looked at her like, why are you stressed? What do you do? But he's much better with them now that they're teenagers, she And they said. can talk. Yes. Right. So they're doing better now. And he actually even made the joke, um, if you want to hear. Now he got a lot of criticism saying, oh, you're writing to stand up for New York. It's easy for you to say you're out in the Hamptons. They asked him about that, too, which is cut 36. Which we talked about. You felt the need to uh, defend your turf? I just don't want New Yorkism to die. I don't want it to be replaced by... uh, By what? Deep concern and over-sentimentality. 
You can have those things, but uh, be, be a little badass, too. We don't care that things are tough. We, everything's always tough. It's, it's tough to live here. Got a little blowback for that. that oh, he's out in the Hamptons writing about New York. Did oh, you, did you shut expect up. that? <laughs> sorry, sorry, I did better than you. My apologies. Got a laugh from the camera guy. <laughs> it's true, though. He's a little, he's a little, uh, don't you think he's a little arrogant? But yes, he, but, but he's, he earned all the success. 100%. Yeah. It's absolutely true. He earned it. He did better than you. Too bad. That's also very funny. Right. It's true. Uh, and, you know, he, he talked about, too, when he, when he wanted to do comedy clubs, he was living in the city with three other guys in a small apartment. Family's really worried about him, and he never asked for money. He just went and grinded it. And so, and he's, you know, he, I don't know. I, I'm curious to see what the book will do. I'm sure it'll be well because he'll do two or three shows, do all the late night shows, and it'll probably do well. I mean, yeah. the guy's got to be productive. 100% is called Is This Anything? And it's basically how he constructs jokes, how there's really a formula for it, right? I mean, I thought all of this was interesting. You like it too. And he goes on to actually more about constructing regarding like the LinkedIn putts, how like LinkedIn something new and fancy and putts is just a great Yiddish word and you put them together and it's funny. So that's sort of what the book is, right. just how to create comedy. Well, did you see his last special when he put all his old stuff to bed? And what he did is he used to keep every single note. He writes every day, puts time aside to write. One of the, They say the big problem with artists is a lot of times they want to feel the motivation. They don't have structure. He would get up and he'd write every day. He goes, that's it. And then he would keep his yellow pads. And then they taped all his notes together on the lot, Paramount lot. And it went for blocks. And it shows almost a maniacal logging of notes put together where things are in categories and things that he's done over the last, I guess, 30 years. And basically he keeps him, but he's never going to do him again. Like he puts him aside, turns the page. Didn't Joan Rivers do something similar with her, like, filing system with all of her jokes? Yeah. I mean, much different uh, comedians, but she never wanted to stop working either. If it wasn't for that stupid plastic surgery, she'd still be alive. Mm-hmm. Probably be on our show. I think she was mad at me at the end. I don't know what was In the going. end, there was a little issue with Fox, but I'm sure things would have been repaired and she'd be right. back. because she was not sensitive. Yeah, she was great. Right. I remember she was on when George Carlin died, and she's like, I'm not going to be sad. He'd be kidding about me if I died, so I'm not even going to be sad. And she started ripping him the day he died, I think. That was her beauty. There was just no filter. That's true. Uh, and she's another one. Uh, blue collars, used to sleep in a car in order to, for a female comedian at that time. It was almost impossible uh, to break out. Vinny, lis- in, listening in Pennsylvania, 94.3. Hey, Vinny. Hi. How are you, Brian? Good. Um, I was just curious. I remember I've, long time, I've listened to you for about a year now. Thank you. And especially when the whole COVID thing started. And I remember hearing always about the homeless. Now, the homeless were building up and and Grand Central Station and the subway systems and everything. Are they getting masks and socially distancing? No. Because, I mean, wouldn't the bodies be lining up? Of course. This was so contagious. And I, I, it just, like, bewilders me how, like, uh, um, what's the safe there? The mayor of New York. <laughs> the de Blasio. Blasio. He's saying how, yes, he's saying how, how we have to, you know, close these down because the, the case numbers, the case numbers. But if all these if those homeless aren't doing any, aren't doing any of this, why... How is everything building up? Hey, and the other thing With is, the body, Vinny, we'd be loading bodies up. We'd be oh, yeah. loading bodies up with a machine. Believe me. <laughs> and when I, when I walk, I walk uh, twelve blocks every day to the train station, and I notice more mentally ill and homeless. But they're not homeless of the family of four who lost who lost their job in the airlines. 
I mean, these are people that need to be institutionalized, not as punishment, because they, they're they not ready for society. They emptied out Rikers Island, which is a huge prison here, and then they let either the people out totally or or early because they thought it was going to spread. And then the mentally ill used to be institutionalized. They sit around. They're dangerous. They're not thinking about masks. They're not even thinking about a shower. And I'm not putting them down. It is a fact. They are, many of which are a danger to themselves and to us. And I think about this. Everyone's commenting on the president's rallies. When did you hear about a rally? I heard something in Tulsa. But besides that, no rally outdoors has led to widespread. None of these protests that we know of has led to, according to experts, has led to widespread coronavirus. And now the the homeless, as you point out, none of it's led to widespread homeless transmission or to us, from homeless to us. It's just to destroy the quality of life. Crystal, listening on the app in Texas. Crystal. Hi, Brian. How are you? Good. What's on your mind? What I can't understand is nobody is talking about this, but if Biden gets in, you're going to have somebody in office in their 80s where most people don't even drive a car. And if something happens to him, you're going to have Kamala Harris's policies yes. that she's been announcing for the next nine months, right. the last nine months. Um, free health care, free health care for illegals, free college, sponsored the Green New Deal favors Supreme Court packing, the whole country's going to look like California. Yeah, and the thing is, she's she's so bendable and pliable. She stands for nothing. She's whip-smart, successful. I get it. Driven. I understand it. But why did she fail as a candidate? She didn't even thought through her policies. Bernie Sanders thought through them. Whatever you think of Joe Biden, he knows where he's at uh, with the policies. She had no idea. Like She had no idea health care would come up or the wall would come up. California is a train wreck. People are leaving so quick that they're thinking about passing a law that says if you leave, you still owe taxes for 10 years, which I think is unconstitutional. That's what she's a part of. The Democratic Party rejected her before her first primary. She couldn't run her own campaign. They were leaking and turning on each other. They out. They spent all their money before Iowa. And she got destroyed by Tulsi Gabbard of Hawaii to the point where she made no sense after that. So she's, it's scary. It's scary. I think Mike Pence is pressure on his shoulders to confirm that he's done everything possible. The coronavirus can stand up for the economic principles of the Trump administration and for the president. You know, with all the stuff that people find unpalatable on the president, uh, Mike Pence does not have those qualities. So he's got to stand up for him. And I think he's going to have a really important role. Crystal, the good news, if you are Mike Pence going against Kamala Harris, if she wants to come at the pre, uh, at the vice president about what happened with the virus and where we're at, he's been doing all the work. He's been interacting with all the governors, including her governor. He has all the answers by just doing his job every day. So he will not be stumped on the coronavirus. That's good news. Tom was on WABC. Hey, Tom. Hey, how you doing, Brian? How are you? Good. What's on your mind? Good. Uh, two things. First thing is the polling that is coming to the houses over the phone. I recently, uh, I usually don't answer these surveys, but my wife answered it, and she said, "Do you want to do it?" And I said, "Yeah, what the heck, I'll do it." So now you got to follow me. The first, I'm, I, the, I'm paraphrasing the questions. First one, like, are you a male or a female? Press one for male, two for female. Second one, are you Republican or a Democrat? One for Republican, two for Democrat. And the third question, or the fourth one, is 
are you for Trump or Biden? And they switched the numbers. It was one for Biden, two for Trump. It was the only ones that were switched in the order that they said it. And I have a feeling maybe that's why Trump is behind in these polls. So they, they can't say I didn't answer Biden for one if I did make the mistake, which I didn't. But I, I'm just wondering yeah. if that could be the case. Well, that's just one example of things that could throw you off a little bit that happens. Uh, number two is I just think a lot of people just uh, are – I think it's hard to get a hold of people. Where do you get a hold of them? Cell phone? How would you get that cell phone? Where are they located? Your area code has nothing to do with your location. Number two is uh, those home phones. The more and more of the next generation don't even have home phones. And I'm curious to see what happens, if you're getting surveyed online or not. And I'll tell you right now, if Trump wins this election, being that he's never led in almost any battleground state or national poll, polling's done forever, unless they totally revamp how they do it. Uh, Tom, and I know a lot of people in New York are frustrated because they feel that they like Trump a lot more than the polls reveal. And the city has always blocked them out because it's so dense. The thing that might be an advantage for the president here, who always thought he could win New York, is everyone's left the city. People are gone. This this commercial real estate and and um, residential real estate, people are just leaving. They can't afford it. They don't work here anymore. They're told to stay home. They go live with their parents or they moved out. So that might give him a shot in New York in particular. We're going to take a time out and come back and see if there's more to know and take some more of your calls. Uh, this is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, we are waiting on this. The, we understand the Washington press pool has been uh, been told to go to Walter Reed Hospital. So either the president's getting out and going to meet with the press or he's not, and the doctors are. That's what I assume, but you never know. Don't move. There's no topic he won't touch, and there's no opinion he won't engage. It's one of the great joys of my life. Call in with yours at 866-408-7669. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. So I watched SNL. I expected a, a decent night, but I thought it was unbelievably partisan. Uh, Jim Carrey and Alec Baldwin in their cold open Last night, you said the ratings were good? Yeah, the ratings came in. They got uh, $7.76 million, so the highest uh, highest rated premiere in four years. Right. Uh, and I just think if you watch the show, it became pretty clear that humor took a backseat to partisanship. And I thought the, uh, the weekend update was absolutely terrible. I actually didn't even get to go through that yet. But that I, I went through it. It was absolutely terrible. Here's a little of the cold open. Don't lose control. That's what he's hoping for. Okay. Where was I? You said, look, here's the deal. Okay, here's the deal. (laughs) No, lost it. Come back to me. I'll find it. It's up here somewhere. Look, man, I'm a nice guy. But if you give me any more guff tonight, I'll rip your face off like a mad chimp. I'll knock that thing off your head and burn it. Bury it in the pet cemetery where it came from. Stop it, Joe. Stop it. God, you can't lose your cool just because this joker's raising little monkey dust. The country's counting on you. Just stand here. 
and look lucid. All right. Yeah. All right. I, I don't know. It was ju- it's I, just I, okay. Jason Sudeikis was so much better. Why they think they have to get a big name like Alec Baldwin and this guy when just get people that are good at it. I agree. I feel like Sudeikis has that folksy charm that makes it funny without yeah. like, this still has like a hint of nastiness to it. Not even against even um, I guess a little bit against Trump here, but just like him trying to just the meanness of like, don't call him this. Don't call him that. I don't know. It, Sudeikis did a better job. Yeah, I don't think there's any question. Uh, the other thing is about football. Uh, they're having some problems now. Got four or five teams with some issues. The Patriots be without Cam Newton tonight. Well, they'll end up playing the Chiefs on Monday night. That's today. But the quarterback may be down for about a week. He's got no symptoms but tested positive. You know how fantastic he's been. Quote, we just don't know uh, when those negative tests are going to happen. Uh, that is, they need two negative tests to get him back on the field. And, of course, you got to make sure it doesn't spread. Evidently, they're looking into the Titans of Tennessee who have been throwing protocols in the street. So they're going to maybe find them, which I don't really finding people on the virus. But if it happens too much, they might pull every team into a bubble, make them stay in hotels till they go to the game. That would be brutal. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian, thanks Kilmeade. so much for listening. It is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, it's a wild Monday after an insane weekend. Senator Marco Rubio at the bottom of the hour. Brett Baer is just getting out of the shower. Will be with us in 15 minutes, and of course you're going to be there. I see you, all the calls from all around the country. Uh, so we're still looking, waiting to find out why the Washington, the White House press pool was called over to Walter Reed. We do have some suspicions. So. And I just got to urge you, too, if you ever miss the show and have to leave your local affiliate, you go to BrianKilmeadeShow.com. You can get uh, the stream as well as Radio.com. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell says it is, quote, full steam ahead with the Supreme Court confirmation hearings for Judge Amy Coney Barrett on October 12th, despite the fact that he has moved to cancel Senate activity until October 19th after three Republican mm-hmm. U.S. senators tested positive for COVID-19. Tom Tillis and Mike Lee as well as Ron Johnson, the two of which are on that committee. Uh, They're still going to be full steam ahead when it comes to the Supreme Court confirmation of Amy Coney Barrett. I'll tell you what's next. Number two. Neither Vice President Mike Pence nor Democratic VP nominee Senator Kamala Harris have shown signs of or tested positive for COVID-19. So the two are still expected to debate. The Commission on Presidential Debates did agree to more distance between the running mates, expanding the space from 7 to 12 feet. Jared Halpern reporting that so they'll be a little bit further apart and very far apart on issues. I'm talking about the vice presidential debate coming up on Wednesday with the president in the hospital fresh off a volatile debate. What is it going to take for him to get back in this race? And is it closer now that he's gone in after what many people, and I'm one of them, believe was a disastrous debate appearance? Number one. Today he feels well. He's been up and around. Our plan for today is to have him to eat and drink. Uh, be up out of bed as much as possible to be mobile. And if he continues to look and, and feel as well as he does today, our hope is that we can plan for a discharge as early as tomorrow. 
Pretty unbelievable, right? Yes, Dr. Brian Garibaldi. I'd Walter Reed yesterday. The president's health, wild weekend, and video releases. Conflicting medical reports in a stunning drive-by. Highlights a weekend like no other as the president deals with the coronavirus. We're going to look at the treatment the president is getting and why some say he could be back home today. The First off, we heard that the president of the United States on Thursday got it, 1 o'clock in the morning. Evidently, he had... Uh, got a negative test on the rapid test, got a longer test. That ended up being negative. In between, he did Sean Hannity's show Thursday. When Friday he got it, Friday morning he told us, Friday morning he got it. Evidently, his his oxygen level dropped to about 94. They offered to give him supplemental oxygen. He said he didn't really want it because it was breathing fine, but he did have a bit of a fever, so they decided to give it to him. Then they realized, you know, we got to make sure with this patient. They gave him a non-FDA-approved, it's a compassionate use, type of um, plasma that they gave him to uh, that they gave it to him and and then they gave him to some steroids and people saying oh this must be more serious than everybody thought then on Saturday he came in and then we started getting some conflicting reports here's Dr. Brian Garibaldi cut three today he feels well he's been up and around our plan for today is to have him to eat and drink uh, be up out of bed as much as possible to be mobile And if he continues to look and and feel as well as he does today, our hope is that we can plan for a discharge as early as tomorrow to the White House where he can continue his treatment course. And that seemed to be positive. But you had Mark Meadows coming out and say, listen, the president had a fever. The president, uh, his his oxygen level was pretty high, uh, kept dropping. And we were really concerned about his vital signs. So that's much different than we're getting from Walter Reed. So here's Dr. Sean Connolly. And here's a, list, uh, a kind of a look at all the different messages we were getting over the weekend, Cut 5. Has he ever been on supplemental oxygen? He, right now, he is not on I oxygen. You, I know you keep saying right, right now, but should we read into the fact that he had been previously? Yesterday and today, he was not on oxygen. So he has not been on it during this his COVID treatment? He's, he's not on oxygen right now. <laughs> Over the course of his illness, the president has experienced two episodes of transient drops in his oxygen saturation. Thursday night into Friday morning when I left the bedside, the president was doing well, with only mild symptoms, and his oxygen was in the high 90s. Late Friday morning when I returned to the bedside, the president had a high fever, and his oxygen saturation was transiently dipping below 94%. Yesterday, uh, there was another episode where he dropped down about 93%. So you got to just tell the truth. And I don't think it's really any of my business. You could talk in generalities about the president and say, listen, when we have a clear readout after a couple of days, we'll tell you where he's at. But he's getting standard treatment with coronavirus for a 74-year-old man who's a few pounds overweight. And I'd rather that than let all the media who's waiting for one little mistake between the White House and the doctors to say, look, President Trump is running his own medical team. That's wrong. And blah, blah, blah. And and you hear all this stuff and you allow him to get off base. Focus on the virus. Focus on what killed 200,000 plus Americans. Focus on what infected seven to nine million Americans and how to beat it. The president, if he stays on this course at 74 years old, gets it, beats it fights through it, tells us what it's like, sees the treatments, sees the therapies, uh, understands the promise of the vaccine. He becomes stronger out of this with 30 days left until the election. Keep in mind, for those who say what a disastrous debate, and man, he can't campaign. Remember how bad things were at this time four years ago. October 7th, the Billy Bush tape comes out. The Access Hollywood tape comes out. 
And they do. Reince Priebus and company say, Mr. President, drop out or suffer the worst defeat in the history of politics. He didn't, and he won. So the problem was Mark Meadows really speaking the truth and Dr. Sean Connolly giving very little information. So then Dr. Sean Connolly, when he came out yesterday, dealt with it. Cut 10. So uh, the chief and I work side by side, and uh, I think his statement was misconstrued. What he meant was that uh, 24 hours ago, when uh, he and I were are checking on the president, that there was that momentary episode of the high fever and, and that temporary drop uh, in the saturation, which prompted us to act uh, you know, expediently to move him up here. Fortunately, that was really a very transient, limited episode. Uh, a couple hours later, he was back up, uh, mild again. Um, you know, we could, I'm not going to speculate what that, that, that limited episode was about so early in the course, but uh, he's doing well. And now Mark Meadows came on with us on Fox and Friends and updated us on the chances of the president getting out. That determination has not been made yet. Obviously, he continued to improve overnight, uh, and uh, his health continues to improve. The doctors will actually uh, uh, have an evaluation sometime uh, late morning, and then uh, the president, in consultation with the doctors, will make a uh, decision on whether to uh, discharge him uh, later today. We're still uh, optimistic that uh, based on his unbelievable progress and, and how strong he's been in terms of uh, his fight against this COVID-19 disease, that he will be released. But that decision won't mm-hmm. be made until later today. So even Marco Rubio tweeted out, says a significant increase in conspiracy theories and outrageous claims since the president's diagnosis. Lies spread much faster than fact-checking. This is why we need frequent, detailed, and transparent updates from the White House and why we should all be skeptical of outlandish rumors. And that's why you brought in doctors, because we were getting half, uh, half the story so people went in and asked for expertise. For example, why would the president be getting steroids? He's getting steroids means they're worried about his immune system not responding like it should. Why is he getting remdesivir, usually given in hospital, and you need five days be, before you really feel as though you've suppressed the virus and you have an idea if the body can function on its own? They're only two or three days into remdesivir. That's why I thought it would be better for him to stay in the hospital, being that he can get all this work done. The New York Times is reporting that the president's medical team also said that he had been prescribed uh, that steroid, dexamethasone, on Saturday, and the drug is used to head off the immune system overreaction that kills the COVID-19. Uh, Dr. Thomas McGinn, a physician-in-chief at Northwell Hospital, says, which is huge, he says the drug is normally not used unless the patient's condition seems to be deteriorating. Now, is that different when you're a VIP? I don't know. If people have gone through it before, I'm wondering what maybe they're overdoing it to a degree, but they're the experts. It's not my my area, and I'm willing to admit it. Uh, suddenly, they're throwing the kitchen sink at him, Dr. McGinn says. It raises the question, is he sicker than we're hearing about, or are they being overly aggressive because he's the president of the United States? I think it's the latter. So I wouldn't mind a couple of day or day or two because right now the market's going up 400 points, something like that. If the president has to go back, for treatment just because the doctors have to feel more secure because they don't want to be the one to lose the president or have the president get really sick or permanently damaged with his lungs. The other question leads to what about what does this mean for 
the campaign. He's got 30 days left. Joe Biden's in the lead of most of the battleground states, if you would believe the polls. Nationally, they say after that disastrous debate, he's up 14. I don't believe it. But let's say it's trending away. Here's what Kristen Soltis Anderson said. Despite the diagnosis, despite a recent poll saying 72% of the people think the president's reckless way of handling the virus, those are the questioner's words, led to this. Here's what she said. Cut 24. What I do think makes this a more challenging race now for the White House is, one, it's going to make it harder for the president to do those rallies that he loves, given Mm -hmm. that there's now questions about these in-person events even greater now that he's gotten it. But two, the president has wanted to turn the page and talk more about the economy. Hasn't talked as much about COVID. It wasn't really a topic at the Republican convention. It's something Mm -hmm. Republicans haven't wanted to talk about as much. This puts it back front and center. You can't message your way out of it. So that's going to be a bit of a challenge. But she actually went on to say not much has changed. I'm going to come back and uh, talk to Brett Baer in just a moment. And then Senator Marco Rubio. I don't want to take too much time away from him with Brett. I want to talk about Amy Coney Barrett and what it means for her getting on the Supreme Court. Don't move. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. The president here is, to a certain extent, putting these Secret Service agents who are driving him and who are in the vehicle with him uh, at some degree of higher risk. Being in a vehicle with Secret Service agents would potentially expose them. Yet that's precisely what we saw just a few hours ago here at Walter Reed as the president took this joyride to visit supporters who have been gathered along Rockville Pike just behind me. Uh, So that's some of the controversy and some of the media outrage because the president of the United States tried to do a drive-by, which was highly unusual and unexpected. But Brett Baer, in this world, uh, we are are expected to expect the unexpected, right? Yeah, that's right. It's – listen, there's there's a lot of coverage of it, and and you'd think that – you know, there there would put out like uh, exactly what how that transpired. I, it sounded like the president wanted to get out and about out of the room. He said it in the video, and then they organized it. Now they say that the Secret Service agents were covered in PPE and uh, were safe uh, by their standards, and uh, they had given the the go ahead. But there were. Doctors inside Walter Reed who are talking to the media. There are Secret Service agents on background who are talking to the media saying that that was dangerous and not necessary. The president obviously flew on Marine One um, from the from the White House to Walter Reed, and that was mentioned by the White House chief of staff. It's just uh, it does didn't seem to be necessary, uh, and. There was a bunch of controversy over the weekend as far as the messaging and what was coming out. Uh, The bottom line is that the president's doing better, and he's doing well, it seems, and he's going back to the White House. So is that what you're hearing because we heard the reporters have been called to the hospital and either for a presser or for some type of announcement? Yeah, we're hearing that uh, it's very likely he's going to go to the White House today uh, because he's doing so well. And so whether that's uh, the doctors giving a prognosis or an actual movement, uh, the pool has has moved to Walter Reed. 
So some of the things that we looked at, you know, the, they didn't say the lungs are clean. They said they were as it, they were the findings what we expected. It's interesting. They had first they didn't want to admit he had a fever. Mark Meadows said he did. But right now, in terms of his condition, it must have been really much more serious than we thought on Friday. They they wasn't necessarily precaution, and I'm I'm okay with them not telling us. But the fever going up and down, giving him uh, the remdesivir, I guess when he got to uh, Walter Reed. But I guess the fever going up and down, the oxygen level going up and down, that really concerned them. Yeah, and you know we didn't find that out right away, and you know there's a long history of presidents not saying exactly what the health situation is through their doctors. Um, you know, I wrote about Eisenhower. He was adamant that they wanted everything out uh, exactly. This is when he had a heart attack in office. Um, and But it was rare uh, to see that. And uh, so I think there was a little bit of frustration about the messaging coming out in the front of the cameras and the messaging coming out behind the cameras. But clearly he had a fever. It spiked. Uh, His oxygen levels did go down. He was given oxygen um, a couple of times, Friday and Saturday. Um, He was given the Regeneron, which is not even approved by the FDA, but the antibody uh, cocktail. And then he was given remdesivir. He's still on remdesivir uh, and apparently responding well. Uh, Brett, the other thing is about the Supreme Court justice nomination. It looks like the Senate's gone until the 19th. Here's what uh, Chuck Schumer had to say about uh, possibly postponing a cut 33. Mitch McConnell seems to be jamming through the hearings on Amy Coney Barrett, even though three senators have COVID, even though he has said it's not safe for the Senate to meet in session. But it's okay to have the hearings. It makes no sense. Does he have a point, and does it mean it's going to stop? No and no. Um, The Senate has been operating uh, committee hearings uh, virtually or partially virtually uh, for some time. You don't have to have a quorum in the Senate for those committee hearings to start. They can be virtual. As of now, the vote, they have to be present. Um, If all goes as as scheduled currently, uh, and those senators get healthy over time, they would be able to go to that vote, or the Senate could pass uh, something to allow them to vote virtually. Uh, So it's um, a little bit of process here. I think Senator Schumer knows that they don't have the votes. There's no real way to slow this down, so why not have COVID do it? I just don't think McConnell's going to go for that. How much uh, do you think the president was hurt by the debate? I know what the Wall Street Journal NBC poll said. What do you think? You know, I don't think it helped him. You know, the debate was about expanding the base, and I don't think he did that. And, in fact, probably ticked off some of his supporters, not that they're going to leave him, but he didn't, you know, like fire them up. Uh, the diehards were like, he's fighting for us and that sort of thing. But you're, you're looking to expand to suburbs. You're looking to get independent women and not sure that that, that transpired, at least looking at the polls that came out of it. Mm. That said, his COVID diagnosis, uh, does, you know, in some corners engender sympathy. Uh, it could change his messaging about how he talks about COVID. And that's why, 
for his supporters over the weekend with the mixed messaging and kind of the the controversy swirling around the diagnosis uh, that you know they're looking at it as a something that was missed. Yeah. And hey, Brad, I just uh, Kelly McEnany has tested positive for the coronavirus. It's just the latest. Is that right? Yeah. Wow. Uh, she was supposed to do her show this morning. Mark Meadows was late replacement, but now we know why. Brett, have a great show tonight. Appreciate it. Marco Rubio okay, next. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. The president tweeted yesterday that the country needs stimulus. Does that mean that you have come to an agreement or are close to a deal on a COVID relief bill? No, it means that we want to see that they will agree uh, on what we need to do to crush the virus so that we can open the economy and open our schools. So you're no closer than on Friday when when that airline deal fell apart. Well, we tried to get that done in the House, but the Republicans objected. Now, he's not in the House, but he knows all about trying to get aid to the American people through no fault of their own who are hurting really since February and March. Joining us now is Senator Marco Rubio. He's he's really been a prominent force behind rescue packages in the past. Now it's pretty clear we need another. Uh, Senator Rubio, listening, uh, welcome, by the way, listening to what uh, the speaker's talking about there. Do you see much hope? Yeah, I mean, look, I think there's... uh, Growing, she's under growing pressure from Democrats uh, who who want to see something done because they're back home and they're hearing from people, especially small businesses. You know, the small business piece of it isn't the impediment. I mean, here here's the bottom line: there's two things that are standing in the way. One has been liability protection, the notion that these employers or companies, small businesses, are going to get sued out of existence because someone's going to claim they caught COVID while working there or visiting there. And two, and probably bigger, is the is the cost. You know, these guys want to take this thing over $2 trillion. A lot of that, the, re- the difference between $1 trillion and $2 trillion here is the amount of money they want to put in state governments for New York and California in particular. And so I think the Speaker and, and Senator Schumer uh, concluded a few months ago, hey, let, let's not do anything. Things are going to get really bad. They'll blame Trump for it. We'll win the election. And, and now they're getting some pressure from their own members. But I still think that's a big thought in their mind. If they can figure out a way to do nothing and blame it on the president, I think that's their preferred outcome, unfortunately. So how do you, you know, you know how to leverage things in Washington and and knowing that it's about the American people and it's taxpayer money. It's not going to be Nancy Pelosi's pocket or her plane, uh, her plane uh, allowance. So how do you, how do you, knowing where we're at right now, how do you move the ball forward? The president wants to move the ball forward. He's telling his people to, I want this done. Yeah, I mean, that's how you do it. I mean, you create public awareness about the opportunity to do it. You make it clear to everybody that what we've put on the table is very reasonable. You separate the want-to-dos and the have-to-dos. There are some things we have to do, like for small business and so forth. And and then there are some things they want and that we want but may not happen this time around. But we've got to sort of narrow it down to the and, and, and make sure everybody understands what is standing in the way of it happening. And uh, and I think the president, when he says we got to do stimulus, he, he shines a spotlight the way only a president can, and it increases the pressure. I think we've made progress on this because of that and because the White House has engaged on it. And, and Senator, we just got news. Kelly McEnany has tested positive. You had heard of Kellyanne Conway, Bill Stepien, Hope Hicks, uh, Ronna McDaniel, uh, Nick Lunn, who runs the Oval Office operations. Uh, 
this uh, this administration has been hit hard, along with the president of the United States. Yeah, I mean, look, that's the thing about this virus. It's highly contagious, and, and once it gets into a building, an organization, it spreads, you know, pretty quickly and uh, and knocks people out at least for two weeks, even if you're not symptomatic. Uh, for 10 days, uh, if, you're, if you're not symptomatic, and then, you know, two weeks if you're not, but you've been exposed. So that's been a challenge, you know, and it's one of the things we're concerned about in the Senate, right? We already have three, I think, three senators that have tested positive, a fourth that's in quarantine, and so... Um, you know, the concern is we got to be able to bring everybody back because we got some important votes coming up. Uh, absolutely. And I guess you're going to do it remotely. I just got word that uh, that Andy McCabe is not going to testify because he's worried about his safety uh, on Wednesday because he's worried about getting the virus. He doesn't feel secure coming to you from Zoom. What's your reaction to that? Comey had no problem saying, well, I don't know anything. What's your what's about Andy McCabe? Uh, well, my sense of it is he's probably gotten he sees an opportunity to do what he didn't want to what, to avoid doing something he doesn't want to do, which is testifying before Congress. I'm sure his lawyers are advising him that as well. And, uh, you know, it's unfortunate. Uh, it really is. And um, it, there's an opportunity to do it in a way that is safe. And so he'll have to answer as to why he doesn't want to do it. My sense is that he'll now be subpoenaed and compelled to come. Unfortunately, with that is, you know, we've got to go to court. It takes time. They fight it. Um, but. You know, my reaction to it is he doesn't want to testify, and this gave him an out. So I, I cannot wait to talk to you about this book that you wrote the forward for, The Heart of a Great Nation, Timeless Wisdom from Ronald Reagan. But one last question. You tweeted over the weekend about the misinfor- that's misinformation we're getting between the White House and Walter Reed. Uh, what's your major concern? Well, a lot of rumors. I mean, the first 24 hours, there are actually people out there openly speculating that the president was faking all this. You know, other people saying, oh, I have a friend who knows somebody that says he's intubated and this, that, and the other. We really got to avoid it because there's not, we already do that naturally as a society. We're prone to that, unfortunately. But now, because nobody trusts anybody anymore, but you also have foreign actors, you know, Iran and Russia and others who will promote this stuff to create confusion and, and anxiety. I think it's important for the White House to provide us regular and transparent updates. It's the president of the United States, and the American people deserve to know in what condition the president's in. I think it's good to have gotten those videos that he's been putting out to give you a you know, front, uh, you know, direct view of how he's doing. And then, uh, by the same token, I think it's important not to speculate about things we just don't know. There's a lot of speculating going on, a lot of medical experts going on the air that have never treated the president, speculating about what this means and that means. But, but it's important because adversaries will read this stuff and potentially think that we're weak or that they have an opportunity to take advantage of it and test us. And it's not going to end well for them, but we prefer to avoid that if possible. So, Mark, uh, Senator Rubio, one of these days I was just uh, flowing through YouTube looking for a clip, and it led me to Ronald Reagan. And I watched his interviews on Carson in the 50s and 60s, and you couldn't believe how inspirational and motivated uh, he was and determined. You know, you had the sense that he was something uh, – Set for something bigger than governor of California. You wrote the forward to this book, The Heart of a Great Nation, Timeless Wisdom from Ronald Reagan. Why, you know, would have everybody that asked you to do all this, why did you want to be in the front of this one? You know, I grew up in Ronald Reagan's America. I was in fourth grade when he swore in for the first time. And even as a fourth grader who, you know, cared about, I mean, I followed politics from back then. I was aware of what was happening because of my grandfather in particular. It wasn't the core focus of my life, but, but even as someone in fourth and fifth grade, I knew I lived in Ronald Reagan's America. And I, and I think the one thing that really struck me about Ronald Reagan is he was in love with the United States of America. 
And today we've got a lot of people out there that are like saying, well, America's not a great country, and America's actually a source of Ill, bad things in the world, and America has a, a history of discrimination and, 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 and bigotry and slavery. And, and we, no one's ever said we're a perfect country. We most certainly have ugly blemishes in our history that need to be acknowledged so we don't return to them. But we also have extraordinary uh, accomplishments. You know, the, the people who got rid of slavery, the people who got rid of segregation, they were Americans too. And our history belongs to them. They're the people we remember. They're the people we honor. And it's important to note that every great movement in American history to, for, for social progress was all a demand that we live up to our founding principles, uh, every single one of them. And so um, um, it was the demand that we live up to the principles that our nation was founded upon, a fulfillment of those principles. Ronald Reagan captured that both in the way he lived life and the way he communicated and the way he governed. All right, so here's a look. Here, let's take a listen. January 11th, eight, uh, 1989, uh, real quick, he's talking about American freedom. Cut 45. We've got to do a better job of getting across that America is freedom. Freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of enterprise, and freedom is special and rare. It's fragile. It needs production. Makes a lot of sense. No argument. I didn't think you would have to be stressed, but that's got to be stressed again. It does. And, you know, freedom is the freedom to do not just to claim your rights, but also your responsibilities, to live up to your responsibilities. And freedom is rare in the history of the world. Um, most of the people that have ever lived on this planet did not get to choose their own leaders. You know, their king, the emperor, the dictator, whatever it may be, was someone who was imposed on them. They had no voice in that. And they didn't have these fundamental freedoms that we now talk about. Even to this day, in many parts of the world, there is no such thing as the First Amendment. There is no such thing as the Second Amendment. There is none of these freedoms that are guaranteed to us by law that allow us to do a lot of the things that we, on a daily basis, abuse and take for granted. And, and, and every generation has had to do its part to preserve it. Freedom is, is what we are created to be, but it is not the natural course of history. It requires each generation to understand it and be committed to it, to defend it, to protect it. And that includes the freedom of people you disagree with. Right. And by the way, the, the Rod, Senator Rubio is on with us. Not only does he like the show, but he also wants to talk about this book he wrote the forward to, The Heart of a Great Nation. So days before Ronald Reagan would leave and hand over power to George Bush, he reflected on people talking about his speaking ability. Cut 43. I wasn't a great communicator, but I communicated great things. And they didn't spring full bloom from my brow. They came from the heart of a great nation, from our experience, our wisdom, and our belief in the principles that have guided us for two centuries. Well put and humble, yeah. right? Even though that is the mark of a great communicator, is the ability to take big, great ideas and transmit them to people in a way they can understand and that they can absorb. I mean, that, that's the core to communication. I mean, any, anybody can repeat what other people say, but to be able to say it in the context and in using words and phrases that everyday people who are busy with their lives can understand and, and, and be motivated upon, that, that's the essence of a great communicator. Ronald Reagan was a great communicator, and thank God for him after the Challenger disaster, after so many instances of, of it, over his eight years, that he was able to communicate very clearly what we were about as a nation um, and, and something we desperately need to remember and try to recapture when right. we can. And to close it out, same speech, 46. And as I walk off into the city streets, a final word to the men and women of the Reagan revolution, the men and women across America who for eight years did the work that brought America back. My friends, we did it. 
We weren't just marking time. We made a difference. We made the city stronger. We made the city freer. And we left her in good hands. All in all, not bad. Not bad at all. And so, goodbye. God bless you. And God bless the United States of America. Nice. What, what can you add to that? You can't. And that was, uh, it captured it perfectly. The, the whole city on a hill, which is obviously a biblical reference, is it, not that, again, America is perfect. It's that it's special. No nation this has used the, the power. We, no nation as powerful as this one has used its power to help so many people here and around the world. It, it's worth preserving. And I think it's important to remember that despite all of our challenges, there's no other country I'd rather be. And finally, about you, you were kind enough, along with Brian Mast, to help me out with a feature on Hispanic Heritage Month, which we're in the middle of. Here's a little of Marco Rubio talking about the role of his family hailing from Cuba and what it means to be in America. Cut 47. Well, my parents both came in 1956. You know, they were poor people and were looking for a better life. The country was already in the grips of a beginning of a revolution. Cuba. Cuba. And then the rest of my family, most of it, my grandfather and others, came after the Castro takeover when it was clear the direction it was going. And I was raised almost all of my life surrounded by people, some of whom had served 30 years in jail, some of whom had their fathers executed by Che Guevara or some other member of the communist regime. So, you know, you talk about uh, the happy to be here. Hear that story. You don't have to go back four or five generations or the potato famine uh, in my situation or leaving uh, the poverty in, in Italy. You have yours that you could look over and see it. Yeah, you know, when I've always believed that when you know what life is like in other places, you have a greater appreciation for how special this country is. It's what I, why I think legal immigration has been so important for this country, is that it's allowed people to constantly refresh it who believe in that. And I was raised by people that knew what life was like in another place and who instilled in us, not so much in words, but in just daily, you know, the way they live their lives, the way they talk to us. They instilled in us this belief that we were fortunate to have opportunities they never had because we were citizens of the United States of America. It didn't matter that my dad was a bartender. It didn't matter that my mom was a maid. It didn't matter that their English wasn't perfect. Their kids would have a chance to go as far as their talent and their work will take them because they lived in the one country in the world where it was possible for people like us. We need to remember that. We need to always work to remain that. And lastly, the president just tweeted uh, about the stimulus bill, get it done. Is that going to ripple through your caucus? Yeah, well, we're ready to go. I mean, we're ready to get it done. I mean, we've had in the Senate Republicans have put forth a bill. The Democrats blocked it. But uh, we're ready to go. So we're not the impediment. If it was up to us, we would have done it weeks ago. Unfortunately, I hope that what that leads to is pressure on Nancy Pelosi and others uh, to reach, you know, an agreement here that both sides can live with. And that's what it's going to take. I mean, no one's going to get everything they want here. We need to do what the American people in our country need. And it's better to do something than to do nothing. Just because you can't do everything everyone wants doesn't mean we can't do anything. And that's where we're stuck right now, and it can't continue. Uh, Take the lead on this, Senator. They listen to you. Senator Marco Rubio, thanks so much. And it's a great book, The Heart of a Great Nation, Timeless Wisdom from Ronald Reagan. It's on sale uh, tomorrow. And we'll Marco Rubio writing the forward. Thanks, Senator. Thank you. And also the special on the Hispanic Heritage Month. He's on Fox Nation. You're going to love his story, Brian Mast's story, congressman from Florida. As we look at the prominent role Hispanics have played in America's past and its future. Don't move. 
newsmakers, and newsbreakers. Hear it first, only on The Brian Kilmeade Show. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. It was time for a break in our interview, and Seinfeld focused his powers of observation on us. Well, we got to do the walk and talk. You have to see people walking on 60 Minutes. We want to know how that, how did, can this person walk? Let's see it. I don't know why. You never do a thing on 60 Minutes without, watch them walk. Look at that. They're walking. That is so cool. Uh, It's funny. It's true, though. They do the walk, and you know he's going to play into it. So Jerry Seinfeld's got another book out. We got to get him on. I put in the request. We'll see. Right. Eric, I might need you to call. All right, we'll see what happens. You know, I don't know how much Paul Allison has. I might need Eric to pick up the phone. Um, actually, Chris Mazzilli from Gotham Comedy Club, who I've been longtime friends with, and he calls it the best club in the – Jerry Seinfeld calls it the best club in the country. So he could make it happen. So, so Chris should be really – he's trying to. You just have us doing it in case Chris falls through. Like he always does. <laughs> Tony, let's on KFTK. Hey, Tony. How you doing? What's on your mind? I just, oh, I just want to, I've been listening to your show for the last couple of months. And Thank I you. I really enjoy it. But uh, the fact of the matter is that the gentleman that was talking about shutdowns and stuff like that, we can't shut this no way. down. No way. We got, to, we got to hit this thing straight on like we always do, like this country's named for us, which made this country great. And that's what makes Trump so great. He's not afraid to do what he needs to do. He don't back up for nothing. And shutting the country down is not the answer. So seeing him back at the White House, is that you think that, that lifts up the country? Oh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. I told you, I was down in Branson over a week ago, and that's all that's down there is Trump. Um well, he definitely needs Missouri. Mickey, listen on KFTK, also in St. Louis. Mickey. Yes, I was going to say, this president loves our country, loves our military, loves our police, loves all of us, and he works all the time. Through all the difficulties he's had, through all of the stuff that, that they've put, thrown at him, he still survived. That's because he is a pro-life uh, president, and he loves all of us. Right. I do want him to start getting in better shape, though. He's gotten a little heavy. They, he can't have that. You're right about that. That's what he's doing. He wants to win. He already wants to get back out there, and he should could be at the White House today. We're going to get an announcement shortly. Uh, thanks so much for listening. Hey, if you want to fight the war on terror, get one of my books. Uh, Sam Houston, The Alamo Avengers is uh, on my website along with everything else. Thomas Jefferson, George Washington, and BrianKilmead.com. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.